0: WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about some recent mail that kind of generated some interest here at We Hold These Truths. It was a comment on our award winning video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and Turning, Part 1. And this was from a gentleman that we uh, got kind of a unique response. But we want to also harken back to an article that Chuck wrote a few years ago. It's entitled, Romans 13, the Neo-Christian Sorry Excuse for War. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Romans 13, because this is key in this gentleman's argument. And he says, the interesting part to me, which caught my eyes right away, was, I am not a Christian Zionist. If anyone at LCMS, that's Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we are not of that doctrine. So he's separated himself from Christian Zionism. He somehow finds that unacceptable. But he's challenging Charles E. Carlson. Here's what he says. However, Charles E. Carlson, at the four-minute mark, does not know his Bible either. He does not understand Romans 13 and the fact that the state does wield the power of the sword. This is not a gospel thing. This is a law thing. And then he goes on and so forth and gives us some more reasons here. So we want to talk about that. But it is interesting because we see Christian Zionists, who will support any war as long as it's protecting the state of Israel, use this. And we saw this used profusely by a number of what we would call Christian Zionists, preachers, and theologians before the Gulf War. We had a group of evangelical Christians that sent a letter to George W. Bush before the 2003 war in Iraq started, saying that they justified any actions and then it could be shown by their interpretation of the Bible as being a just war. And we've seen that afterwards by... A number of people, and we've talked about it in previous editions of our podcast about the support for these wars, our serial wars that are wreaking havoc, particularly in the Middle East, where uh, untold numbers uh, in the millions now since 1991, at least when we had our first war in the Gulf, in Iraq, have died or been injured. We have millions of refugees as a result of our actions here. And this gentleman that's challenging us is a former military, I guess a Marine himself. So we want to talk a little bit about that. One of the contentions, according to this gentleman that wrote us, is that Romans 13 directs us to be subject to our governing authorities. And so let me read the first seven verses of Romans 13, and then we can talk about it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Therefore, one must be in subjection to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor Is owed. Unquote. So this was written, of course, after the crucifixion of Jesus by Paul, one of followers of Jesus, early followers that wrote quite a few books in the New Testament. And so this was during the era of the Roman government, who was a dictatorial empire that ruled over the Middle East there. Chuck? Okay, Tom. Doug, the man who wrote this letter to us,
1: probably a very well-meaning and patriotic guy who said he served in the United States Marine Corps as a, uh, and he didn't say what rank he'd served in or how long he'd served, but we're going to probably guess he served in the, uh sometime from his picture maybe, that he served in Iraq or Afghanistan or both. We just don't know. He said in his letter a very significant thing, Uh, When I entered service, I had to deal with taking another human life. That uh, was a dilemma that he was writing, really writing about, and he was criticizing us because he felt that we did not understand the context of Romans 13, which said that if you are commanded by uh, your political leaders, that you need to treat that as God's commandment coming down from him through them. This is the essence of the way Doug is reading uh, Romans, which Tom just commented on. So I I wrote a story, and I have to be responsible for this. And and in it, I made a a suggestion of what these verses meant that didn't come from anything I ever read from anyone else. Uh, It just was something that seemed right to me, so I wrote it. And I am certainly not a Bible commentator, so it it is definitely an amateur effort to explain one of the most difficult sections of the Bible that any Christian can uh, can confront. My feeling was the first 6 verses of Romans 13 contradict almost everything in Paul's life. Uh they were just uh, totally shocking to me in terms of other things that he said and, and done. Now Paul rarely did criticize his persecutors. He did Talk about being whipped numerous times, stoned, beaten, imprisoned many times. He was constantly abused by the political powers of his day. And part of those political powers was the alliance between the Pharisaic powers of Jerusalem combined with and, and taking political consort with the Roman government. They basically worked together. And so Paul was in conflict with both. And he amazingly did not often criticize political powers, but he exemplified the idea of render on to Caesar, what is Caesar's render on to God, what is God's, which are, of course, Jesus' words, when asked, does Caesar have power over you? My reading of these verses as I looked at them seemed to say one of three things. Either either Paul didn't write this and someone else dubbed in these uh, six verses, and when we go back to the original Greek text, which we rely upon for the New Testament, we find out that these six verses are pretty much there. Or were these six verses completely twisted and uh, reinterpreted by late Bible scholars of the 17th, 18th, 19th century, as so many sections of Scripture are. Uh, Again, when we take a look at these verses in the the ancient Greek text, uh, I have a a Greek text I rely on. Uh, Quite often I find glaring errors when I go back and look at Greek text, but I look at these and it seems that these are pretty much the way they were written in the Greek text. The meanings were not distorted by one or two words or something like that. In other words, this section is not only very pointed, but it is detailed, and it's repetitious. It, it says over and over again that ministers or potentates or magistrates, as, as the Greek word kind of reads, but nevertheless political powers, certainly, are ordained by God, and whatever they do is God's will. And we should treat what political powers are doing as God's will. So we'd interpret that to say that it was God's will that the Romans would whip Paul, beat him, imprison him, and so on. Would Paul see it that way? Paul did not complain much, but I don't believe he liked exactly the way he was treated. He just had a mission, and he didn't waste his time belly aching about personal things. That's always how I viewed Paul. So my view of this had to be that he was writing a coded language. He was writing... A parody, in other words, almost a satire, stating exactly the opposite of what what his life proved and what he frequently said other places, Uh, where you would expect people that read your letter who knew you to take one look at this and say, what is Paul talking about? Has he lost his mind, or is he telling us exactly the reverse of what he thinks? So that was the way I wrote my letter, uh, which we published four years ago or more, uh, entitled Romans 13, the Neo-Christian Sorry, excuse for War. So I think it would be appropriate now for others to comment on this and uh, kind of go over these verses.
2: Yes, I'd like to jump in there, guys. Years ago, I read the book it was called Hitler's Cross by Erwin Lutzer from uh, Moody Bible College. And he specifically went over to Germany and did, did research on how how did the Christians allow the atrocities of the, the Nazi Party to take place right under the nose. And what he found, and it's it's explained very well in his book, Hitler's Cross, is that it was their preaching and understanding of Romans 13 that led to that whole idea that you have to bow down to the state. Whatever the state does, you have to agree with that. I find it very interesting that here we are now on the opposite end of it, and people like uh, the one that wrote into We Hold These Truths is uh, justifying Romans 13 for the, the senseless wars that we have. And especially what Israel is doing to the Palestinians, this is legal, doing what our government tells us to do, and it's the opposite side. So Romans 13 justifies the atrocities of the Nazis. Romans 13 justifies the atrocities of the United States government. It's it's really interesting. Where where do we stand up and say enough is enough, and we don't we don't get involved in this? Luther has come out with a sequel to Hitler's Cross. It's called When a Nation Forgets God: Seven Lessons Which We Must Learn from the Nazis. This is kind of where I think we're going here is that there is a point where in Paul talks about in Romans 13, yes, rulers are there to reward good behavior and punish bad behavior. That's true. But when what they declare as good is bad and what bad is good, that's when the whole paradigm falls apart. And that's, I think, we as Christians need to uh, look at it with concerning eyes of the Holy Spirit. Because there's one side you can go to, it's just anarchism. Well, I'll just do what I want, it doesn't matter, because I think it's okay. You know, yes, we don't definitely don't go that way, but there is boundaries when a government, authority, or whatever is outside of God's will, we have an obligation to say no, and be willing to take the consequences of saying no and say, not in Jesus' name, I can't do that.
1: Very good. So, why do you think Paul wrote these words in this way? Because he was... In every respect, he was carrying out his life in a manner that he was a target for annihilation, for assassination himself by the very Roman government.
2: I think we have to look at, you know, Jesus' life himself. Here he is in the midst of the Roman Empire. He didn't condone what the Roman government was doing, but he preached the message of peace, forgiveness, love and acceptance, and that got him killed. But he accepted the consequences for his message. And that's what I think we need to do as Christians, is say, no, not in our name. Not in the name of Jesus are we going to do this and accept the consequences for that decision.
1: Very good. And I totally agree with that. I believe that is what we do need to do. And that's what we are trying to do. Anybody else have a thought on these words?
3: Yes, um, this is Glenn. I fully agree with Craig there. And, you know, it's even biblical in, in Acts 5 and verse 27, if you don't mind me reading, it says, you know, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make this, us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And And that's the point, right? The soldiers under Hitler were obeying their leader, but they weren't obeying God. You know, why would God want us to? destroy so many people you know they were here peter they were looking at what was right to do not necessarily what the leaders wanted and so it is biblical to sometimes you have to disobey the authorities and i fully agree with what craig was saying
0: well that's exactly right i mean the nature of warfare has changed and you can verify this chuck because now we have a all volunteer army, whereas when you were uh, in the military, you were drafted. And so there uh, we have people that go into the military by choice because they can't find a job somewhere else. And then they have to change their way of thinking, as, as this Doug obviously did from his comments there, that you have to be able to kill people. And so you are, in essence, becoming subject to the government. And so using Romans 13 will help justify this in someone's mind like Doug, that it's okay to kill people. And we say it's not, particularly when you look at the natures of our wars. These are not only unjust, they're unconstitutional, and they're un Christ-like. Not that we are a Christian nation, but we use the justification that we have some kind of moral superiority here in the United States and uh, we should be the policemen of the world. But let's not forget that we've allowed the murder of over 50 million innocent children through the process of abortion, and we know that modern wars of the day you have a very, very much higher civilian death rate. World War I uh, was much higher in the military side, but there still were a lot of uh, civilians killed. But that ratio, percentage of innocent civilians has creeped up. In some cases, up to 90% of the people killed are noncombatants. Well, Tom,
1: uh, I, I remember so well when we called conscription the draft, and it was meant to mean it's kind of like the vacuum. You were sort of sucked up into this vacuum cleaner, and you didn't have a choice of serving in the military. You, you had ways that you could scramble around and change the way you went in. You might even be able to adjust the timing a little bit and stall it off. And some people stalled it off more successfully than others, but uh, I wasn't very good at stalling it off, and I ended up going in twice. Uh, both times I was conscripted. And the attitude of people toward the military was not friendly and loving, like you are my a source of income, you are my career. I was horrified when I met my first high school person that I knew from another school who had competed against and who I had great respect for, and he told me he was going to become a career military guy. I was so shocked, I, I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't even have an answer to it. I was so disappointed in him. And we had at that time a feeling that the military was a necessary evil. It was predominant among almost all of us who were in a necessary evil. We told ourselves we needed to do this because it was the country, but uh, we didn't like any part of it. Uh, Now you have an entirely different situation. You have the all-volunteer military, or or better said, the all-professional military, where everyone basically is paid a living wage. And uh, they essentially are in the military in a lot of cases because they need to work. So that difference is huge, and it takes in someone like Doug, who we don't know why he went into the Marines. My best friend went into the Marines because he said, I'm going to get drafted anyway. I'm going to go with the toughest ones I know. And he ended up playing on the Quantico Marine football team. So he made the best of it. But he was still in the military because he had to go. He didn't go because he wanted to. To be there, I'd like to go back to Romans 13 because we haven't answered our basic question, guys. Why did Paul write something that was so out of character with him? Paul, in another place in Galatians 13, wrote that there are no differences between humans. We are all the same. We're all the same in God's eyes. There is no male, female. There are no officers or no, there are no civilians. He essentially wrote, all are the same in God's eyes. Uh, this is Paul writing this. But then here in Romans 13, he says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. He could have said the leadership of God. How about let every soul be subject to the leadership of God, for there is no power but God, is the next line. And the powers that are ordained are of God. And he could have said, but earthly powers are ordained by man. Whoever then resisteth the power res- resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive damnation. It might have been more like Paul to say, "And they who do not follow God uh, will receive unto themselves damnation." For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the powers? And do that which is good, and you shall you, you shall have their praise. So this is like saying, "If you do if you do what the military leaders tell you, that they will appreciate you, and give you a three day pass." For he is a minister of God to thee for good. And one might say, don't be afraid of the sword of evil leaders, but trust God for your salvation. Romans 6 verse goes on, for he is a minister, and I'm speaking here of these appointed political leaders, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon he that does evil. And that might have been more like Paul to say, for God will protect you from the sword of evil men in his kingdom, if not in this one. Therefore, ye must need to be subject, not for the wrath, but for conscience' sake. And in verse 7, says, For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. And uh, I, I would think Paul would have better said that, for they have power only in this life. These leaders, these ministers have power only in this life, but no other i kind of defending my position, guys. I'm kind of saying I think Paul was writing tongue-in-cheek. I believe he was really writing parody here, and that's why these six verses stand out as being in contrast to everything else that I can find that Paul ever wrote. I believe that his friends would have read this and said, Oh, my God, this can't be Paul. What is he telling us? He's telling us all these earthly leaders are ungodly, and we must turn against them. He's telling us that the only powers with following are the powers of God himself. And uh, that would be how I would hope you guys would interpret if I said something like this. If I came out and said, I want to tell you guys, uh, 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 I'm going to uh, either vote for Hillary or Trump because I believe God has appointed both of them to be our leaders and one or the other is the one he wants. What would you say to me if I said that? <laughs> so, verse 7 turns it around and says something entirely different. It is like verse 7 reverses all the former six verses. Read it carefully. Render, therefore, to all their due, tribute to whom tribute is due. Now, tribute, of course, means bribes or taxes, doesn't it? Tribute is something you give to tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Now he's getting down to business. If you have to fear the Roman leaders, then give them fear. That's what they deserve but give honor to whom honor is deserved. Doesn't verse 7 reverse and counteract the first six verses? That's my argument.
3: Yes. I agree right. it does, and it doesn't say to kill for if, if, it, if killing is called for it. It's not, it leaves that completely up.
0: It does, yeah. But, but he doesn't. Just go back to chapter 12. And so what we kind of see with Romans 13 is, What we've experienced here at We Hold These Truths, at many vigils, we call the phenomena that uh, Christian Zionists use to um, justify their positions as Bible bingo. They can actually go all over and quote scriptures out of context. But if we look at chapter 12 of Romans, the chapter right before, starting in verse 9, Paul says, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's the end of chapter 12. And so that kind of contradicts, you know, if we have to follow the government... But he's given this directive in the chapter before, then justifying killing people, and then that becomes another issue, it seems to me. I'd like to point out
3: something that I just see in, in Doug's letter. He says he totally contradicts himself as well in that he says our presentation, Christian Zionism, is, is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But the very previous statement says in order to protect Human life, we must at times take it human life. This does not include indiscriminate murder of whole nations for purposes of dominating that nation for pure conquest. And by definition, Hitler was a ruler, so his people should obey him. But his purpose was basically murdering whole nations. And so Doug is contradicting himself right in his own very words. Well, this is the problem of our day.
1: Christian Zionism is self-contradictory. There is no such thing as Christian Zionism because one can't be both.
3: Right. So, and, and
1: strangely enough, uh, many, many people do actually call themselves Christian Zionists. Mm-hmm. I'm
3: sure many people following Hitler were Christians, and, and they were following his leader from the Romans 13 standpoint, but they weren't following God, that's for sure.
1: Any
2: Anything
3: from Craig to the end?
2: We just attended a commissioning ceremony for the Marines and, and sailors, and it's really interesting because part of their oath that they say is that I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. And you know, in that is what? What if those rules and those regulations are in violation of the scriptures? Where does that put the Christian? Basically, he's saying I'm going to support the president, but the president is giving an unlawful, unlawful order. What do you do? And as, as a Christian, I don't see any way except to say, you know, I can't do that before God, and I'm willing to accept the consequences. I like what you said, Tom, about bringing Romans 12 into that. I had I had that ready to talk about it, and you just you just picked it right right up because it talks about not avenging yourself, and then Romans 13 goes right into saying, well, the government will avenge the wrongdoers. It's not your job to do that. Uh, God will wield the sword to, uh, for evil through the, the government and so forth. And I think that's the issue, what we're talking here in Romans 13, is don't avenge yourself. That's the government's job, and that's what we picked up in Romans 12 that you, uh, that you read, Tom. So I, I think that's where we get this whole thing out of whack, is that we're not to avenge ourselves; it's the government to avenge the wrongdoers. But in this case, if the government is wrong, they're the wrongdoers. And I think it was Benjamin Franklin said that uh, nations are judged in this lifetime, people in the in the, in the next. And you know that's where we see nations falling because they have turned their backs on God, and and reap reap the consequences of that. And I just I fear that that's where we're headed ourselves.
1: Great.
0: Thank you, everyone, for all your input.